Thank you, Don. Thank you, Vicki. What grace that God has bestowed upon us, that He should love us, and that love demands, love demands our all. You know, it's interesting that um, we speak, and we will speak today, of God's love, but make no mistake, when we come to Christ, it is giving our all. It's not something we add, a little Christianity, a little fire insurance, or something of that. He asks for our all in return. It is that that we give Him. And we give it gladly. We do, because of His great grace and the hope that we have of eternal life. We're continuing in our series this morning. Uh, that series has been titled, The Joy of Knowing. As we've looked into 1 John, if you'll start to turn there, 1 John chapter 4. As we look to the joy of knowing, uh, we've noticed that there's a lot of things that John is speaking to us about, about how it is that we know God and the joy that we receive through Him and because of Him. And so as we come to look at this morning, we're going to read the passage, we'll pray and ask God's help to understand it, and we'll dive in and see what John has for us. This is John the Apostle, John the Disciple, the one that loved Jesus deeply, the one that Jesus loved. And so you can hear his heart as we read his words, this epistle or this letter that he has written to churches. We, we feel the heart of love from this one. He writes as a father. He writes to his beloved children, are those dear friends, as he often uses those two words, children and friends. And he writes in such a way that shows us the heart of God. So in chapter 4, verse 12, uh, verse 15, let's read together. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us, loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. May we bow in prayer and see God's help to understand the word today. Gracious God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, as we stand in awe, just having listened to the songs of the deepness of your love, our hearts respond in prayer and praise and thanksgiving. And so as we come to look at your word today, we need your help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit uh, to do the work that only he can do to open your word reveal the meaning and the understanding to us, but also we need the help of the Holy Spirit in placing, as it were, a finger on the hearts that we specially need for us, the parts that we specially need for us to understand and to act upon. And so, God, by your grace 
And by your mercy, we pray that you'd pour out the Spirit upon our hearts today. We might see and understand, Lord, might respond to your word. And we will give you the glory for all that you are and all that you'll do today. Lord, in Christ I pray. Amen. The field of mathematics has always fascinated me. Maybe it's because when I was young, my father could do numbers in his head faster than I could do it on a calculator. Or maybe it was the orderliness in contrast to my creative side, which tends to be a little disorganized. Don't look at my desk, but I hear it's a sign of a, of a brilliant mind. At least I'm going with that. But regardless, this morning, I'm going to take a little different aspect of this passage. I'm going to look at the mathematics of the passage. And so I've entitled this, The Mathematics of God's Abiding Love. Now, a couple of things you'll see. In fact, if you have a pencil uh, or a pen on your, um, your paper Bible, or maybe you can highlight on your digital device, I want you to underline a couple of words, and so I'll point them out to you. But notice first the word love, because you'll see that many times. Followed by the word abide, you'll see that one many times. And then followed by almost the same number, the word fear. And so as you look at those words, you'll get an idea of this. But I'm going to talk about mathematics. I'm going to use a couple of things, some you know. You know what this is, equals, okay? So equals is is, there's an equivalency there, this equals that. So we got that. None of us really have a trouble with that one. This one is results, and I had to get a little help. Yes, I called in an expert. I texted an expert yesterday. And um, this kind of implies, because I knew that she and her sister would, would make fun of me if I got my mathematics wrong. Uh, but it results in or implies. So you have to understand. So this will lead or results in this if something happens. And so you can kind of make the equations there. And then one that we know, even if you use Excel, sometimes you, you put a high a bunch of numbers and you hit that little sign there and you get the sum of it there. So I'm going to go to the sum first because we'll work our way backwards there. So the sum is in verse 21. So go to verse 21. You see this, and this commandment we have from him. Who's him? God. Uh, or NASB capitalizes, but in case you don't know, and yours is not capitalized, we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Here is that commandment, and you will recognize, if you've read the passage before, if you've been with us before, this is his theme. The last uh, number of verses. The commandment, the one who loves God should, and that has the, the force of must, that one must love his brother also. Okay? Then you got the ends. We, we're not going to walk away yet, but we could close the book and go out and pray and let the convicting work of God, the Spirit, ha, ha, work on us. But we're not going to because you don't get off that easily because God has something else for us as we were reading. So here's the sum. So you can tell you, the one who loves God must love his brother. You got it? Let's go to verse 15. Let's begin. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. So, whoever confesses, this is actually, um, in our our language studies, a third-class conditional statement. So here, whosoever confesses, literally, he who, if he may confess, this one, this one, what? The Son of God, uh, God abides in him. So this confession is born of an inward 
um, persuasion. The idea of confession here is not like I've, I'm confessing to something as in um, I've done something wrong. But this is a confessional. You think of a confessional or proclamation or declaration. We might say here, it's a public confession or declaration that Jesus is your God and a declaration of personal salvation. So, often when we baptize, we have the person who comes up and baptism say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a public declaration that God has done something in the heart. God has cleansed the heart, has redeemed the heart, washed it white as snow, forgiven sin, and now placed that individual in the, in the family of God. And there's hope now for eternal life. We have that confidence in God. So it's that confessional statement. And so here, John says, whoever confesses in this way, and John often uses this as a shorthand because he's already described what this means to confess God, confess Jesus as Son of God. So this means this one is, or this one abides in Christ. Here's the idea that we have. Conditional state, whoever publicly declares that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. God abides in him, and he in God. What he says in 15, look at this abiding. And if you're underlining, you'll underline love one two, three times. Abide. You'll underline twice, uh, three times in that verse. Already you start to see the themes of the passage here. The mutual fellowship of God comes from confessing. So God is in me. He is abiding and dwelling. Maybe you have that word in your translation. The idea of to, to, to come and to remain, to stay in. Whoever confesses, that one God abides in. And through the rest of the passage, we're going to see the, the unfolding of this, of what this actually means, how it tra- uh, transforms and changes our lives because of the abiding work of God. So with that idea of the confession that Jesus is the Son of God, now is the abiding work of God, this, the Father in the heart. So here it is, verse 16. He says, We have come to know... And have believed the love which God has for us. So as, as salva- at salvation, the confession, now the abiding, and you see the abiding work of the love of God in the heart. We have come to know, and that's the idea that the joy of knowing, that, that experiencing because of the understanding that comes through experience, we've come to know and have believed. We're placing our faith and our trust We believe that love which God has for us. Then he makes this statement, God is love. God is love. And for our first equation, we might say, uh, first formula, God is love. God, equivalency, this God is love. Now, before we go too far, is that the only thing God is? No. God is holy. God is justice. But you see the perfect expression of love coming from God because God is love. And if you give nothing else from today, understand that, that, we, that since God is love, we cannot love in and of ourselves very well. We can attempt to. We can try to. But God is love. It springs from Him. And we'll see here in a second that He is indeed the source of this love. God is love. And the one who abides in him, the one who abides in him, we're reading in verse 16, 
in love abides in God and God abides in him. So we have this result of the confession. The result of the confession is God's abiding. God's working in the, in the heart. God's abiding in us and we are in, abiding in him. And this is a, a mutual thing here. Yes, we're in the family of God, but also he is abiding in us, in our souls, in our hearts. And when that happens, God's abiding results in love abiding. God's abiding love, and we're going to see in a minute, there's a change in our love too. So if you start to see John's logic here, of what he's doing, of God equals love, and the result of God abiding in our heart will be God's love abiding in us. Okay, so we've got the result. It's, it's flowing there. And so I, I like to think of this idea of a result. It, it, one thing flows from another. It's going downhill. So God's love, and from that flows the abiding. It flows the, the, the work of love in our heart. Dwight Pentecost said of of this idea of to dwell or to abide. He says, to dwell in God is to have one's spiritual roots so deeply implanted in him that his life flows through the total person and manifests itself in our life. Get a brief glimpse of this abiding in God and God abiding in us. There's a deep implantation of the abiding presence of God and the work of God in the heart of a believer. And from that, it begins to work in us and to change us. It changes our love in a phenomenal way as we allow his love to work in us and to perfect our love. And that's what he gets to in verse 17. Here in verse 17, by this, by what? By God's love. By God's love that's abiding in us. Okay? By this, this work of God, confession, remember, we're flowing down here. Confession results in God's love and the abiding presence of God in us and Him and God's abiding love in us. By this, love is perfected with us. So it's working on us. Understand? The love is perfecting and working, the idea of completing and, and filling out. Hear this love, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let's unpack that a little bit. Unpack the, the idea of this. So, by God's abiding love, something happens. He speaks of this word being perfected, completed, so that we may have confidence. Confidence or, or boldness. From this. And, and this is not just any boldness, because he ties it to uh, this phrase, in the day of judgment. So boldness in the day of judgment. And often God speaks of the, the great and terrible day of the Lord. I believe God is, uh, through, through John, is, is speaking of the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment of all the nations who do not know God. Okay? This is not the, the judgment of that we, we stand before based on, as believers, what we have done with the resources God has given to us, this is the judgment that we have, that we stand as a spectator at this judgment. 
And we do not dread that day of judgment, the great white throne judgment. We have confidence, not based on our own abilities and our own strength, but that the love of God is abiding in us. And as the love of God abides in and perfects our love, it fills out our love, we have confidence that He is in us, and we do not stand condemned in that final day because of Christ. See, God's done a work in our heart. The abiding presence of God's love that gives us confidence to know. And you think about sometimes we, um, many of us have over, over the past maybe struggled with assurance of our salvation. Am I saved? Well, I, I think I, I made the, the confession. I believe it was honest. I believe it was sincere. But, but am I saved? What this is saying is God's love works in us and abides in us. We have confidence that we are His. And that in that judgment day, we stand before Him not condemned. But we stand justified. Often, the assurance trouble that we have in our hearts and lives is because we have not let that love of God, if indeed we are His children, we have not let the love of God work and perfect us in our hearts and lives to give us that confidence. We've not been submissive to the Holy Spirit. Let, it, let His Word wash our hearts and, and work in our hearts and His, his love uh, do such a work that we have the confidence that we are His. It's interesting how if when we are, yes, maybe in sin or maybe just away as believers, away from fellowship with God, we've, we've kept, kept Him at a straight arm, We've put him off a little bit. We want you close, but not too close, God. And we struggle often. Because of that, we struggle with knowing for sure and a confidence that we are God's child. And it comes from the abiding work of God's love in our hearts that fills out, completes the love in us that says, yes, I am God's. I have confidence in that day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this. Are we in this world? Which is an interesting phrase, and there are many different thoughts on this from many different scholars. But we would say from this that, it, that he is speaking of Jesus, because as he is the one who we confess as the Son of God, as he is in the world, so are also we in this world as he is. I believe this is speaking of his love. This is the, the flow of the passage. This is the flow of the passage of the love of God. As he is love, so are we in the world. Look what the perfecting, completing work of God does here. As God works in my heart and life, and works in your heart and life to, to remind us that we are his, to, to fill out and complete our love, we do have confidence. And then we also, from here, we also give, share love of Christ to others. We are in the world. He's not done with the thought here of this completing work of love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear, verse 18, fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Hmm. There is no fear in love. Three times there's love mentioned, Fear, one, two, three, there also. Ever struggle with fear? 
literally this says, fear not is in the love. And this love that comes from Christ. It should be in our heart. Fear not is in this love. You know, there are two types of fear. There's a fear of terror, of dread, an alarm. Um, sometimes it's because of guilt, maybe in the context here, but often it's just a fear of, of the unknown or, or a fear of, of, of danger. That's a, that's a healthy fear. But there's a fear that comes from terror, okay, whatever the cause. There's also a fear of love. A fear out of love is a, what we talk, speak of in biblical terms of reverence. Reverence for God. It's not an abject horror of God. It's because God is great in His power and His might and His love that we have a reverential fear for Him. We don't treat Him casually. He's awesome in power and of love. And so here, this idea, there is no fear in this love. This fear here, perfect love casts out fear. We're not speaking of the reverence. We don't want to cast out that doing. So we're speaking of the other type of fear that we might have from whatever the source. And so, unlike the previous verse where the believer stands and watches the great white throne judgment confidence, there is a fear for someone who does not know Christ. So, unlike the, the believer in confidence, there is a fear of the one who does not know Christ or the one who is not abiding in God. Because there is no fear, this, he's, still, he's still speaking of this, this fear of the last day, of judgment. There is no fear in the love of the believer here. Now, let's step, take this a step back. Um, think of the confidence that comes to a believer when the abiding love is present in the heart and is filling and completing, there is no fear of the end, whether we die now or be taken up. There is no fear of judgment. There is no fear of what God will do. We know our hope is secure, is settled. Now, there are often there may be fear of something that we don't know going here. You know, someone comes up, they, they scare us. Uh, we jump in fear. But there is no dread of our eternal hope because the love of God is working and perfecting us. And so often fear, the dread of what will be, what will come, is associated and tied up with a lack of God's completing love working in our hearts and lives. And as we see from the passage, that is on us. God's love is strong, it is abiding, it is there in full in love, but the perfecting part of this has an obligation with us for us to abide in him, John 15. I love reading the epistle because you see the, the overtones of the gospel and the words of Jesus throughout this. Abiding in Jesus, abiding in God, not only produces fruit, John 15, not only produces a work of God in our heart, but also produces a, a circumstance where there is no fear of ultimate dread of judgment. There is a confidence and a lack of fear because of who God is. This does not come on our own. Okay? You know, it doesn't matter how many bumper stickers you put on the back of your car or truck. This is no fear. Okay? I bet I can stink up on you in the middle of the night and... 
and make certain noises that will cause you to fear. One of those being a ratcheting of a shotgun. You know, all of us kind of jump, you know, in the middle of the night, someone behind us. We, we hear those noises that we don't expect to hear. Ultimate dread, that the fear that comes from not knowing Christ is not in the one who abides, who has confessed that Jesus is his Lord. Mathematically, God is saying, by this, the love of God, love is perfected. God's love is perfecting us in confidence, in confidence. He's doing so also here with our fear. He's perfecting so that we lack fear. And that is a comforting thing for the believer who knows Christ. It is a comforting thing. No matter what is happening in this life, in this earth, no matter the fears that we might have, um, justifiably and unjustifiably, for the believer, the power of the love of God perfecting in us gives us confidence. Well, he continues. He continues to, to work his, his thoughts. John does. In that verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loves us. In uh, many of the manuscripts, uh, they're divided. I would say this. It doesn't change the, the understanding of, of, um, of this. We love the most extant. Uh, many of the extant, the remaining manuscripts, are divided between him as the object and no object at all. Just a statement of we love, or you may have a we love him. And while it is true that we love God because he first loved us, I believe the thought in here because of, of what is this is that we, we love. It's a general statement we love. We cannot hope to love God or anyone else except because he first loved us. So we love, we love God loved if we think of this and we understand what God is doing here, that God loved, God loved, my slide to move along. He did what? He loved first. God first loved us. Notice the initiation. We've seen this before in the passage of chapter 14, or chapter 4. We've seen the initiation of God loving first. It's not that we decided that one day we're going to love God. And he said, oh, okay, well, I'll love you back. No, God loved first. He initiated this also. And what we see, this tells us also that God, his love is the source of ours, of our love. We love because God first loved us. We loved. We love. If you think about this, we do not have the capacity to love God as God loves, to love others as God loves on our own. You and I do not have the capacity. We are flawed in our love. So Stacey, that's not very nice. Well, it's true. We love because we get something from it. We love because of a selfish motive. I'll love you if you, I don't know, give me a new car. I'll really love you if it's a, a brand new, name your favorite brand. Um... I'll love you if you do something, you fix me dinner, or if you, you do this for me, you cut my grass. I'll love you because of this or whatever it is, or you, you take me out to eat, or whatever it is. No. 
See, the love that comes from God is a sacrificial love. It is this word that's been throughout the passage. Uh, this idea of giving willingly for, to another, not based on what we receive in return. This love, we cannot muster up from ourselves. We can't do it on our own. But God first loved. See, we only love in such a way that God loves because he first loved us. We've seen that love. We've been recipients of that love. Indeed, if you're a believer, this is, he's talking here, the ones who have confessed. Indeed, if you have received and been a recipient of that love, you can, by God's love, by God's grace, love in a sacrificial way. His love is the source of ours. His, he is first. And to illustrate this, of our incomplete love, he, he brings us to verse 20. As he brings us to verse 10, he says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Which I think, I, I find unusual for John, who is always kind. John is like the nice, it's not like Peter. Okay, Peter's like, here's what it is. Paul can get pretty, you know, matter of fact. John usually says things a little softer. You're not telling the truth. The truth's not in you. No, no, not here. He is a liar. He is a liar. What is he doing here? He's actually bringing, he says, here's our next equation. You got it here? So, I love God, someone says, does not equal, so you know what I was going to get that in, I hate my brother. It's incompatible. If I say I love God and hate my brother, that, there is no equivalency there. That one doesn't, we're going to do it that way, one doesn't flow to the other. Loving God doesn't result in this. And what he does, he brings from the argument of the lesser to the greater, because he says in verse 20 again, he says, you hate your brother who you can see, okay? He's right there in front of you. I mean, a good thing or a bad thing. He's right there in front of you. See him, okay? It's not a figment of your imagination. If you hate him, how can you love God whom you cannot see? Oh, I love God because he's so great. You've not come face to face with him. How do you know? Well, I, I read about him. Well, if you read about him and his love is working in your heart, you're going to love your brother and love God. And this is something that, that John is hammering home throughout his book here. The joy, the joy of knowing God, the joy of knowing abiding love in God is a love for others. It is a love that overwhelms, not enough of our own strength. We, you know, we have interpersonal relationship problems, and we struggle. And we say, well, I'm going to do better at loving. Okay, I'm going to try harder. In turn, we're grumbling, and we don't take it to God, and we don't source God's love. And we try, and we fail in our love. And we're going to fail over and over and over if God's abiding love is not working in and through us. God's love is incompatible with hatred. I mean, well, it says, yeah, I don't hate him. I just don't like him a lot. <clears throat> okay. You can tell yourself that. But John would say something else. And so the conviction here is a blunt truth. 
that if we fail the argument, if we try to do something that does not equal the other, the condemnation, the judgment of God is upon us. We are in sin as believers, in need of repentance and forgiveness. And so we come back to verse 21, the sum. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love, must love his brother also. So what about it? This passage, the commandment, not a suggestion, from God to love one another. So what, what do we do with this passage? How, how do we, how do we, what do we learn from it? A couple things. As I read scripture, I always want to see God first. I want to see an accurate picture of God in, this, in the passage so that I'm, I'm, I'm not doing something of a moralistic nature because I, I feel better about myself. I'm, I'm good, so be good for goodness sake. No, let's see God what do I learn about God? Number one, God is love. God is love. His very nature, his essence is love. See, if we don't have a, a firm grip on this and understanding, you say, well, I know that, but do you, do you really understand that? Because if we understand that God is love, it changes how we live. When we see his love and what it's done for us in our hearts, how he's redeemed us and rescued us, part of seeing God's love is seeing our unloveliness. Is that the right phrase? How bad we are. Part of seeing God's love is getting a greater focus on us. And then we look back to God and we see the work of God and his love and how powerful it is, his nature. It is indeed him and he has demonstrated the love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the love of God that is demonstrated to, a, to, a, to humanity who is in rebellion against him. He still demonstrated love. And a love that we can barely understand, even though that some of us in this room are recipients of that love, we still can hardly scratch the surface of this love. But we must know that God is love. He has demonstrated that to us and that he loved first. So we have to have a firm grasp on who God is. Yes, he is just. Yes, he is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. God is love. Secondly, God abides in me. Since God is love, and God has by his invitation brought us, or brought him to, or us to him, get my hands going in the right direction, since God has brought us into fellowship with him through Christ Jesus, God now, he says, abides in us. And that second, the second aspect of, of God's love is also overwhelming if we take a moment to think about it. That God, holy, righteous, perfect God, dwells in us. Who are not so holy and perfect and righteous. But because of Christ now, 
we have standing with God, but God, not only do we have standing in Christ's righteousness, but He abides in us. And that must be present in our thoughts at all times, that God is in us. His love abides in us. Think about this. He loves me. His love abides in me. There is close fellowship. There is close fellowship in this abiding. And often we want to skirt God off to some other place. Let me live my life, God. I'll come back to you at uh, time of death. Okay? Or just let me know when the rapture is and I'll be okay. And sometimes we live that as, as Christians. And I'll say we can't live that long, indeed, if we are Christians, because God will begin to, to reveal himself to us in ways that we'd rather not see, to bring us back to himself. God loves me. I'd rather live in close harmony and fellowship with him, the love of God abiding in me, perfecting and changing my love. I'd, love, I'd rather live in that understanding of God from Scripture than away from God, apart from God. I also need to know, number three, that God's love perfects my love. It is his love that gives me confidence. It is his love perfecting my love that gives me a lack of fear. I don't get confidence. I don't get lack of fear on my own. It is God's work in me. And as I spend time with God, His love starts to to infuse my thoughts and my understanding and my outlook on life, my outlook on my fears and my outlook on everything about... Because now I start to see Him as larger. Indeed, He is larger than my fears. I start to see I have no dread of the future because I have confidence in God. See what He's doing here. The power of God's love working in and through us, abiding in us, changes how we live if we go to Him as our source. If we do not, we live in fear. We live coweringly because we're, where we're hamstrung because we're not sourcing our strength and our love from Him. So, what do I learn about myself? Number one, I must abide. If you look back to the, the, the passage in, in 15. Whoops, it wants to go back. There you go. Please go forward. My slide's there. Whoever confesses. God does not make us confess. And you can see by the tenor of the passage here that there is, there is a situation in which believers can be in Christ, be in God, God abiding in them, and they fight the work of God in their hearts and lives. Many of the times in my life when I have struggled the most as a believer are those times I'm fighting him. I know he's abiding in me, and I'm fighting him. So, because of that, I don't love very well. Because I'm fighting for his love to work in my heart and life. I'm resisting part of this, this idea, this perfecting work of God. And so I don't love very well if I'm not abiding in him daily. If I'm not in his word so why, why don't I get along with name the person? Well, are you abiding in God's word daily? 
Okay, you're not going to have good relationships with other people in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ if you're not in, if God's work and His love is not infusing you and working through you through His Word on a daily basis. Stop trying. You're going to be frustrated. Okay, stop trying to make it happen without God. I must abide. You must abide. You must. It's so much more simple if we do it God's way. If we, if we, if we live out His life through us, we allow the, the love of God to do a work in our heart and to change us. And, to, and we go to Him. We continue to go in His strength and His power and His love. It changes us. Number two, I need God's abiding love every day and perfecting my love. So abiding, yes, I must abide, but every day I need God's abiding love to perfect me. So my result is confidence and lack of fear. Every day, these kind of merge, they flow down, they result in each other. Three, I must love my brother with the love that God has shown me. Boy, there is no room for hatred for a Christian brother. We can have disagreements and we can come together and work them out. And we can say, ah, you know what? I misspoke. Forgive me. There is no room for hatred for a Christian brother. I'm sorry. Okay? It's God. If you say, I love God, and you... You, you sing out loud on Sunday of the love of God in your heart. It's rich and power free. And it's, if if uh, oceans with enough ink to write and, and pens and scrolls and, and the love of God so rich and fr- and you're hating somebody, you're being a, what does John say? A liar. And so I must, you must love your brother. And sometimes that's kind of difficult to, and humbling to go to someone and say, you know what, forgive me. You may not have known that, but I have had hatred in my heart toward you. I've been resentful. I've been bitter against you for something. Would you please forgive me? It may surprise them. Usually when we hate somebody, we have hatred to somebody and or bitter resentment. They don't know a bit about it. I mean, they're kind of like, it's bothering you. It's not bothering them. Go. Go. See, there's a joy in knowing that John is describing throughout his, the whole book here. A joy of knowing not only of God himself, but God's abiding love and the work that he does in perfecting our love so that we may love, not in our own self-worth and strength and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but because of his love is our source. So this morning I ask you, do you have the joy of knowing God's abiding love working in and through you? First, at salvation. Do you know that love of Jesus? Secondly, as if you're a believer here, do you know the love, the abiding love of God? In Him is joy. Joy of knowing, knowing abiding love. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, I thank you for who you are. I pray that today that you would, and by your grace and strength, 
by the power of the Spirit, would you dig, dig deep into our hearts and change us to be more like you, to know your love, to see you first, and then now the source of your love to love others. May our hearts, thoughts, our, our actions, our words, may all that reveal your love to others. May we know joy, may we know a lack of fear, may we know confidence, May we know that God spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. May we have no dread of a judgment. Oh God, would you do a work in our hearts today? And Father, I pray that if there is one who does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray today would be that day. May they see the love, trans, transforming love of Christ in our hearts May they desire that. May we show that, that you might receive glory. Lord, pour out your spirit. Change our hearts. May we see you. May we respond. It's in Christ, I pray. Amen. Head bowed, eyes closed.